Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. This is a series where we will be focusing the next four weeks on positive mental health. How do we deal with the mental health crises that we are experiencing ourselves? How do we support those around us who might be going through mental health difficulties? How do we remove the stigma as a church about coming forward and receiving help and support and love and care? Because not all of ailments are obvious and physical. And people, especially in the last two years, have been coming, becoming more and more aware of the impact that our mental health has on our lives. So what we're doing with this series is we are, we've got four different sessions that we're going to look at. We've got some incredible speakers coming in, including Steve Campbell and um, Dr. Elspeth Daly and Dr. Kate Middleton, who is not the Duchess of Cambridge, and it's very important that we distinguish that, but she'll tell you more about that when you see her. Um, but equally, we've created some group content. So if you're not in a C3 group yet, this link will help you get there. We are gonna be taking time to watch some content that's been developed by a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and some people who've got their own experiences of mental health and experience of supporting friends and family with it. And they're having an open and vulnerable conversation that we get to watch and then discuss together in our C3 groups. So we really want to encourage you, even if it's just a taster for you to join a group for the next four weeks, do it. Because this kind of stuff only really moves forward in community. And the best way for you to get into community here at the church is to start by getting into a group. All that being said, I have the privilege of welcoming Elspeth Daly to the stage. So we're gonna watch a quick VT and then Elspeth is going to open our series, Built to Last. I wake up every morning and the day is already started. The earth is turning on its axis general life is happening, and the news is mostly bad. About pandemics, financial crises, wars and rumors of wars. A world that appears more broken than I can do anything about. And then there's me. There's the war within my soul, the argument in my mind, the grief in my heart. What do I do about that? I can do nothing on my own. I need to establish firm foundations on the unchanging grace presented to me by the man who gave his life on Calvary. That is the place where I must rest my warring soul, my arguing mind, my grieving heart. I am built to last. With Christ, I will start. I'm really excited about this new series starting. It's something very close to my heart. So whether you are in the room with me or if you're watching online, if you're watching one of the prisons, it's so great to connect. Or maybe across our different locations. I love the reach that we have here at the C3 Church. How is everyone doing today? That was almost like a ooh. 
whoa kind of sound. So I don't really want to reinterpret that, but there we go. Um, it really is good to be with you today. So if you've heard me talk before, you know that I can talk a little bit fast. So I'm going to try and slow it down, but I'm also going to encourage you to take a pen, paper, uh, your journal, your iPad, whatever it is, follow along on new version. Because on the new version Bible app, I, I've also given you some extra slides and some extra details. So if you miss a point that I make, you can go back through that and have a quick look. Because today we are kickstarting this series with Built to Last, Remain. Remaining on Christ when the stuff and the storms and the stresses of life get to us. And the next week we're going to be really focusing on restore and looking really at psychological distress. But this message really is something for everyone. Now, whether or not uh, today you agree with everything I say or not, I want to encourage you to do a bit of participation with me. So when I read uh, from the Bible, I'd love it if at the end you said, Amen. 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 Okay. This is kind of like the charismatic version of uh, the Anglican. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But we're saying amen. So uh, here we go. We'll do a little practice run. Proverbs 19 verses 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Amen. Amen. There we go. Okay. I'm going to hold you to account. See if you're still with me as we go along. So my formal title is Dr. Elspeth Darley. Uh, I'm a trustee here at the C3 Church, but I'm also a senior psychologist in the NHS. I don't know if anyone here works for the NHS. Yay, brilliant, a couple of them. I don't know about you, if you work for the NHS, give yourselves a little whoop, a pat on the back, because it's a great place to be, a great place to work, and a great place to visit if you have to. There we go, <laughs> very good. And so, um, on the, the screen behind me, another little bit about me by way of introduction is a picture, or should be a picture of me outside a new house that my husband and I, Joshua, moved into roughly this time last year. And as you can see, I'm, he's not just holding my stomach for some weird reason. I am actually pregnant for seven, seven months pregnant in this picture. And so we move into this house. We could get this house because it was a proper fixer-upper. The skip is a, a big clue to that. Now, I don't just mean, you know, fresh lick of paint and new carpet in the place. I mean, the day I got the keys to the house, I walked in through the front door, and I could hear drips coming from the kitchen. So I thought, oh, no. I go in, and I look up at the ceiling in the kitchen, and there are two patches of brown liquid dripping down from the hot water tank and the toilet. Yeah, it's pretty gross. In fact, uh, one of our friends from church came over. I'm not going to drop any names, but he said, crumbs, look at the ceiling. It's really wet. Trace it with his finger, and his finger went straight through the plasterboard. Um, <clears throat> bit of ventilation. So we really had to gut the house. We had to take out walls, take out chimneys, take out all the old water stuff, put in new electricity, new plumbing. And to be honest, we were pretty clueless. Um, about how you do this stuff. So we watched some YouTube videos. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so optimistic. Um, but if I'm honest, I found that time really stressful because it was a period of uncertainty. We literally went from houses to hotels. I didn't know where my meals were going to come from. Uh, there was no running water there. I couldn't stay there. I'm seven months pregnant. I'm literally thinking, am I going to deliver this baby in a building site with no walls? Um, because there was actually one occasion that uh, I came back um, after being with my parents. I came through the front door, and my hind waters leaked a bit at the stress of seeing the building site. I don't know if that's too much information. Uh, but... <laughs> There we go. And really the big question I had in that season is, how am I going to cope? How can we build this house to last? 
particularly with a baby coming. And to be honest, the big answer came in community. Doing relationships with people who knew how to build a house that lasts. One of our friends said it was the house that love built. Because we had people coming around, they hosted us uh, to stay overnight at their house. They brought dinners around for us. They literally talked us through electricity kind of 101. And one of the best gifts I was ever given was from my dad. It is this hefty Pretty old school, complete DIY manual. Now in here it has everything about, you know, what to do if you get an electric shock, clearing the opening, calculating airflow capacity. I mean, stuff you didn't even know that you should know when you're building a house. And really, this was basically like my family and friends saying, this is wisdom about how to build your house to last. Use it, and if you do, uh, you're going you're gonna to cope. Your house is going to withstand a lot of stuff going on. Now, in the same way, then, sometimes we can all feel, no matter who we are, no matter what age or background, we can all feel stress and uncertainty with the stuff of life. How am I going to cope? How am I going to cope in this situation? And in week four of this series, we're going to look at the importance of community and relationships. But today, I want to kickstart and say we have a master builder who has come into our house to show us how to build. And in the same way that we have, I had this incredible manual about what I should do and some real wisdom, in the same way, we believe that we have the Bible here as a manual from God about how to do life, how to withstand storms. And there is wisdom in it. Whether you know Jesus, whether you think you know Jesus or you don't, what we believe is that before the world was even created, Jesus existed outside of time and space. And he created and designed humanity, so he understood the stuff of life. And then we believe that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into time and space. He took on flesh. He knew what it was to be a human. Now imagine that, the God, the person who created humanity, who knew about life is now teaching us how to live life, how to live a life built to last. Now, if you read the New Testament, particularly some of the Gospels, there's one called Matthew, which is really a record of Matthew about the life and teachings of Jesus. And there's two kind of three fantastic chapters, chapters five to seven, really. And it talks about the teachings of Jesus. So here is Jesus, the God-man who knows about how to live life, and he gives some teachings to us. Matthew records this, and he says some things like this. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or how shall we pay for heating in this cost-of-living crisis when winter comes? Or how can I afford to fill up my car full of diesel? Because the non-Christians worry about these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all this stuff will be added to you as well. See, Jesus comes and he turns a lot of our logic on its head and he says, hey, you wanna know how to live your life. First of all, I'm gonna demonstrate it to you. I'm gonna come into your house and show you how to build. But I'm also gonna leave you some teachings that are really practical advice about how to cope in these seasons. And then at the end of these chapters, in chapter seven, Jesus summarizes all his teachings, and he says this, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Josh and Elspeth, you wanna build a house to last, follow the manual. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine in the past couple of chapters 
and does not do them, does not put them into practice as like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a crash. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, life can be, will be stormy. Stuff will come for you in this life. And the question is then is, where are your foundations? What is going to get you through? And he says, if you put into practice my teachings, you will be like a wise builder, building your life on the firm foundations that we sang about today. Now, one thing I love is that Jesus doesn't say, if the storms come. And yet so often, myself included, can believe, well, if I put into practice what Jesus says, then the storms won't come as though somehow we can appease God or uh, it, we kind of act a little bit superstitious, say, oh, if I'm really good and really holy, then nothing bad's ever going to come to me. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus also doesn't say, well, you know, because I'm an all-loving God, no storm or trial or tribulation or, you know, the stuff of life is ever going to arrive at your door. No, no, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, when the storms come. He says it twice. In fact, he says, the rain came down, the streams rose up, and the wind blew about it. The storms are coming from every angle, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian. The question then is, what will happen to you when you do? What will happen to your mental health when the stuff of life, the normal stresses of life, come to you? So point one is, storms will come. The question is then, what's going to happen to us? The World Health Organization defines mental health then as a state of well-being in which the individual realizes their own abilities, can cope with the normal storms and stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to their community. Now, quite often, psychologists like myself then try to answer this question uh, by creating diagrams. They say, okay, when stress and the storms of life come, What happens to us? Where does distress come from and how do we get through it and get past it and then what's the result of that? And we come up with little diagrams. If you're on the YouVersion Bible app, I've uploaded one of these kind of simplified diagrams, but it says stress comes. Then there's three different types of people. On one hand, we have people who seem to kind of get through it. They're knocked off balance a little bit, but ultimately the balance is kind of restored and they get on with life. On the other side though, and I think for a lot of people, transformation occurs sometimes for the worse, and Jesus talks about that, that we can succumb to the stresses of life, that it takes us out by kind of our ankles at the foundations, that we crumble and fall. And the other transformation is what what we might call kind of this post-traumatic growth, that something happens to us, which basically is life-changing, quote, psychological shifts in thinking and relating to the world and to ourselves that contribute to a personal process of change that is deeply meaningful. So sometimes in the stresses and the storms of life, they, they make us more grateful for the life that we have. Sometimes it means we, we know what deeper connection to other people is like, or deeper connection to God. Transformation can occur. Now, psychologists then say, okay, well, if, if these are the different types of people then that we have after a storm and the stresses of life, what's the difference? What distinguishes them? And one of the main distinguishing factors is how people cope. People's coping styles or coping strategies. 
Now, what do I mean by that? A coping strategy, here's a really classic example. I'm stressed with my exams, I've got a deadline that is due tomorrow. And suddenly, instead of me sitting down and applying myself to writing, whatever it is for this deadline, I notice how disgustingly dirty my bathroom is. And I spend the next five hours distracting myself from the anxiety and stress of this situation by literally, uh, this is a, a true story, using a toothbrush to scrub the grout between the tiles. I don't know, I've never done that before, but it's a great coping strategy, or at least that's what it feels like in the short term, to deal with my stress and anxiety about the real issue. What about this one? Escapism. Sometimes when the storms of life come, we just want to switch off. Now you can spend all day sleeping, you can watch about a billion episodes of Netflix. Sometimes you can drink too much alcohol as well just to switch off. Eat loads of food, go to work, go into the office to escape from maybe some relational difficulties that you've got going on. That's another coping style. Avoidance, a classic one. The bills are coming through the front door. You see them piling up and you think, oh, I, just, I can't deal with the stress of my financial stuff at the moment. So I'm going to avoid them by not opening the bills and I'm going to pretend like they don't exist. These are some coping styles. Sometimes even anxiety can be used as a coping style because we have these positive beliefs that actually the more I worry about something and ask myself, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if? Then, you know, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so sometimes anxiety and worry itself can be used as an unhelpful coping strategy. We know that we are in a coping crisis, particularly since the pandemic, with around one in 14 of us self-harming as a form of trying to cope with this emotional kind of storm going on and the stresses and the pressures of life. Now, we all have coping styles. Some are helpful, some are unhelpful, some are helpful in the short term, but not in the long term. And Jesus knows this stuff and he says, hey, point to what is the solution then to this coping crisis? Put into practice the teachings of Jesus to make sure that the coping styles that you're using when the storms come are built on the firm foundation. So what do I mean by that? Some of the examples that come from Matthew's Gospel. He says, look, are you worried about money and about your finances? Well then, first of all, confront the issue by praying to God about it. Be really honest with him about what's going on for you. And then he says, and do something really practical. He says, pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And he also says, you know, remember to tithe, give back to God all that he has kind of given you in that. So some real principles. He basically says, make the worry that you have productive. In other words, here's some stuff you can do about it. What about this one? Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. The what if, what if, what if. For tomorrow will have enough worry of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, be mindful. Try to be a bit more in the present, in the moment. Think about the stuff that is going on today. Invite God into the here and now situation because God has got tomorrow in his hand and that stuff is gonna happen when it's gonna happen. But be mindful, be present of what is going on. An example, when I was at school, um, I had uh, a really close friend and then after the summer holidays, there was kind of this falling out which seemed to come from nowhere and she went a whole 180 on me and just, I mean, I used the word hate and I, I actually do mean that word that she really didn't like me. And it wasn't just a passive, oh, I'm not really into you at the moment, I'm kind of bored of our friendship. It was that she was so mean to me. She would talk to my other friends and honestly made school for a season really difficult for me. Um, other people tried getting involved and it was messy and it was painful and I'd come home from school regularly just crying about this situation. 
And I remember reading through the Psalms and thinking, you know, gosh, David, the person who wrote a lot of the Psalms, was betrayed. And I'm saying, God, I just feel so betrayed by this friend in this moment. I remember saying, God, how do I handle this storm? How can I be built to last when my world seems to be shaking? Because to be really honest with you, I felt totally justified to gossip about her, to say to other group of friends, you know what, yeah, she is so mean to me. Did you hear what she said? I would avoid her if I were you. And I had every right, I felt so kind of... Um, righteous, that I'd done nothing wrong, and all of this stuff. And I really felt God say to me, you want to be built to last. Bless those who curse you. Yeah, but God, I'm totally in the right here. Why should I do that? I can, you know, stand on my high horse. And God just said, no, bless those who curse you. And I remember being sat in a math class, and <laughs> I really felt God just say to me, randomly in the middle of that math class, go to the toilet. Now, that's a weird thing for God to tell me to do, but um, <laughs> I thought, well, okay, I'll be obedient. So I put my hand up, and miraculously, um, I won't say the teacher's name, but I was allowed out of the class, and I'm walking to the toilet thinking, this is really weird. What do I do when I get there? I don't actually need the toilet. And who do I bump into in the hallway? Um, during that time, but this friend. And it was weird because nobody else was around. It was the middle of class time. And so I said to her, I said, hey, can I wait up? And I said, even if you hate me, I'm going to choose to love you. Even if you hate me, I'm going to choose to love you. I said it twice. And she looked so taken aback because I, it just totally broke her narrative about what you know, she was expecting to get back from me. And she just burst into tears. <laughs> the middle of class, and I just suddenly thought, oh, okay, it's not also what I was expecting. And from that point, it was a really slow recovery, I suppose, in our friendship to getting back to where it was. But things radically changed in the way that she was towards me. See, the wisdom of God just can seem so illogical. It turns stuff on its head. But that stuff helps us be built to last and navigate the storms of life. And more than that, not only about standing firm, but just like this psychological diagram, it can actually change things for us for the better. Romans chapter 5 is basically written by a chap called Paul and he writes to a church based in Rome and he says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently and therefore joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Listen to this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. What? For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. But God, how can I give thanks to you when my marriage is so painful and the other person is just winding me up? How can I say thank you to you when you've brought death to my door? How can I rejoice and be thankful to you when I just don't even know where my next meal's coming from? This is real stuff, isn't it? And yet the author says there's two reasons that we can be thankful to God and we can rejoice in the middle of trials and situations. He says, number one, it is a privilege to be stood on a firm foundation that is Christ. Why? Why is that a privilege? Because it is not going to be shaking. There's a hope in the moment. So there's a hope in the moment now that Jesus is with us, that he is equipping us to get through it. But there's also a hope that because we are full of the love of God, that he is not going to let us down. And one day, all trials and weeping and pain and struggles will cease. We believe that. That's a real hope. The second reason then that we can be thankful is this, that God is bringing us to maturity. 
What do I mean by that? I mean, you've seen a picture of me when I was seven months pregnant. Since that time, my daughter is now 11 months old. And it has been my joy, but also my responsibility to raise her from being a tiny little baby on her back, only having milk, unable to say anything or do anything, to walking around a bit, to having solid foods, to saying some words. And in the same way, friends, if we are a child of God, it is joy. It is his joy and his responsibility to raise us to maturity in him, to become more like his son, Jesus. He doesn't give up on us. And whether we like it or not, the storms and the stuff of life helps mature us if we let it. For example, I um, absolutely hate running. And when I first met my husband, he was super into running. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to be so impressive. So I went out for a run, and after a mile, I threw up in a bush. And not just anyone's bush, but his church leader's bush. Um, <laughs> so I really left my mark there. Anyway, but since that point, I thought, okay, I'm going to keep running because, you know, I know it's good for me, not just physically, but also mentally. Because to be honest, when I am in pain and when my coping style of comfort is taken from me, my goodness, it reveals some stuff about myself that I just do not like. What do I mean? To be really honest, when I'm running and I'm in pain, I get so judgmental and so critical. Both of myself, I say, oh, come on, Elspeth, you can do better than this. You know, maybe you've let yourself go. You need to work harder, push with the pain. But then I can also project it onto other people. Look at the person over there. How comes they're beating you? Have you seen them? But look at the person back there. At least you're better than they're doing. And I just say, oh, Elspeth, shut up. I find out some stuff about my character that has not been matured and has not become Christ-like. That same thing happens when I fast as well. When I'm hungry, my goodness, some stuff about my character comes out. My husband and I were talking recently about sleep deprivation and about how actually when we're really tired, again, some stuff about our character comes out that God is wanting to transform. He is wanting to mature into the likeness of his son, Jesus, even in and especially in our sufferings. So point three then, I want to say is be real and be vulnerable. It's funny, isn't it? Because so much of a Christian's journey is not about being perfect. It's about being real and saying, I am totally imperfect and I need God to mature me and to grow me up in him. And yet so often we can have this mindset of, if I come to church, I've got to pretend like I live in a land of make-believe with rainbows and sunshine and there's never any storms in my life. And we can think, I can't cry in church. I can't be emotional here because, you know, what were people going to think? But friends, denying that there's a storm going on doesn't help the situation. That would be a bit like going and sunbathing in a hurricane and that stuff just takes you out. Be real and be vulnerable. There's a fantastic story that comes from Luke 7. And it's of this kind of a church gathering. Some group of uh, religious people have gathered together for a bit of a house party, and Jesus is there. And in walks this woman who is obviously going through a storm. Everybody knows it because she is ugly crying. You know, she's snotting. She's just uninhibited showing her emotion because she is going through it. And she knows that the safest place to be is with Jesus. She comes in, and she gets out her expensive jar of perfume, and she stands behind Jesus and then weeps at his feet. And she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. And then with her hair, she wipes them, she kisses them, and then she pours her perfume out on them. 
The people at this party are kind of looking at each other and getting a bit undignified. What is she doing? This is so awkward. She needs to rein her emotions in. We know she's going through a storm, but if she could quieten down and sit at the back, that would be really great. But Jesus turns to the woman. He sees her. And then he turns to the others and he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. See, Jesus turns to the other people in this room and he says, do you see her? Now the answer is yes, they see her. They've seen her, they've been complaining about her. They've been saying, rein in your emotions. Slap a smile on it, don't you know who you're with? You're with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, 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 you don't see her, I see her. He turns to her, he sees her vulnerability and he says, hey, I've been hanging out with the rest of you at this party and not once have you been vulnerable to me, not once have you opened yourselves up to me and been real with me. And yet she has, she has let herself be totally real with me. See, Jesus doesn't just mind your emotions. He welcomes them. He welcomes how you're really feeling. He welcomes your ranting. God, I don't know why I'm in this storm. God, I don't know how you can let this happen. He welcomes it. He says, talk to me. God, how long is this storm gonna go on for? He welcomes it. In fact, the Bible says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Weeping and worship, they go together because we have a privilege of hope in Christ that he is bringing us to maturity, weeping and worshiping. So friends, Jesus offers a template of this. He says, God, I feel abandoned by you. Even Jesus says, God, would you take this suffering from me if you can, if you want to. In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations, which is basically written by a prophet, a guy called Jeremiah, who who knows God has a relationship with him. And yet he says, oh, this whole book is about my grief and my questioning and I just don't understand what's going on and I'm aching and I'm in pain. And in, that whole, in this whole book, there's only about two verses really of, of hoping God, but I will hope in God. There's a space for this weeping and worship. So friends, you don't have to avoid the storms of life. You don't have to look for them because they're gonna come. Normal life, normal living. But the question is, what do you think will get you through them? Your husband, your finances, your academic achievements, your body, what is gonna get you through it? Maybe it is about being built on Christ and putting into practice His teachings. So number one, the storms are gonna come, but number two, to get through them, you put into practice and be changed for good. And number three, be real and be vulnerable. Now, before I hand us back to our location passes, then I'm gonna pray for us all. If you feel comfortable, just open yourself up to God. Maybe you know Him, maybe you don't. If you don't know Him, just be mindful of the moment and say, God, if you're there, if you're listening, talk to me. Oh, Father, I thank You that You don't leave us as orphans, that we are not alone in this world to do it alone, but we are built on You, Jesus, that You put us into community, into a neighbourhood of other homes built on You. Oh, Father, I pray that we would have the strength to be honest and open with you first and foremost, and then with our brothers and sisters in this neighbourhood. Let us be changed for good in whatever we're going through. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.